Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. He is the only man in the Pro Football Hall of Fame with at least 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving, and 1,000 yards passing. When he retired from the game, he was the NFL's all-time leader in total yards from scrimmage. Yet, when you mention his name, so few football fans have any idea or knowledge about his Hall of Fame career. Next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to explore the career of a great one, Charlie Trippy. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shaped the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Sports Forgotten Heroes, Episode 92, The Great Charlie Trippy, another in a long line of stars whom time has forgotten. So, who was Charlie Trippy? Well, first, as of the recording of this show, Charlie is still with us. Born December 14, 1921, Charlie is 98 years young and still enjoying a wonderful life. So, maybe my question should be, who is Charlie Trippy? In just a few moments, my guest, Joe Zemba, who joined us a few weeks ago to talk about the Chicago Cardinals, will be here again to talk about the terrific career of Trippy. Charlie played in the NFL for nine years, all with the Cardinals. His first year, 1947, he helped lead Chicago to the NFL championship. And in 1948, he helped lead the Cardinals to the 1948 championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles, a game the Cardinals lost in a snowstorm 7 to nothing. But what made Trippy special was his all-around ability. Sure, there have been players who could line up on either side of the pigskin, but few could do it like Charlie. He was a running back with star moves. He started at quarterback for the Cardinals and for his Georgia Bulldogs as well. He was a terrific defensive back, could punt the ball, and return punts too. In fact, in the 1947 NFL Championship game against the Eagles, he returned a punt 75 yards for a touchdown. So how is it a guy like Trippy is not better remembered? We're going to talk about that with Joe. My guess though is this. When Trippy played from 1947 through 1955, the game was incredibly different than it is today. Players just didn't put up the same kinds of numbers 
as today's stars. Now, before we get into today's show, just a few notes. Please follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Look for the Sports Forgotten Heroes page on Facebook or Instagram, or follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on the web at SportsFH.com. That's where you can find out more information on the stars I talk about, the guests who appear on the podcast, and it's also a great way to send me questions, make comments, or suggest stars you'd like to learn more about. Again, that's sportsfh.com. And of course, as always, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give me a five-star rating. And as always, thanks for your support. Okay, so Charlie Trippy. He also had a terrific college career. He was a runner-up to the great Glenn Davis for the Heisman Trophy, won the Maxwell Award, and was the first overall pick in the NFL Draft. By the way, he was also inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. And here to tell us more about this forgotten star is Joe Zemba. Joe, welcome back to Sports Forgotten Heroes. I am thrilled that you decided to visit with us again. Warren, I I really appreciate it. And tonight's topic is such an exciting one for uh, going to talk about one of the all-time greats from the NFL and uh, see if we can make sense of his career and when he played and his impact on the game today. Absolutely. And we're talking about Charlie Trippy. So I got to ask you right off the bat, who is Charlie Trippy? Charlie Trippy is one of those rare breeds who was a member of both the college and the professional Hall of Fame. But in between his career, which I can describe as illustrious, he also took two and a half years out to serve during World War II mm-hmm. and picked up his career when he came back. But He's a guy who started playing pits, uh, football in his, uh, his hometown of Pittston, Pennsylvania, where he was considered a little too small to play. So he was able to get on the field in the early years as a center and a punter because he only weighed 160 pounds. And then one day as he faded back to do the punting, the ball sailed over his head to his own 14-yard line, and so this little guy who was the center on the team uh, picked the ball up, tiptoed through traffic, won 86 yards for a touchdown. (laughs) After that, his coach, a guy named Clyde Gallagher, said, I think we're going to put you in the backfield. So that was back in 1938. (laughs) You know, um, you said that he is a member of both the College Football and the Professional Football Hall of Fames, and and I think that fans would be surprised to know that. Um, so let me ask you this, speaking on the professional level, for his career, he rushed for 3,506 yards. He scored 23 touchdowns. In today's game, those are pretty pedestrian numbers. So yes. what makes him a Hall of Famer? He could do just about anything on the field. And I think he demonstrated that during his career with the Cardinals. He was a halfback, but he was also a quarterback. 
and a great defensive back. Mm-hmm. He punted. He returned punts. He returned kickoffs. Uh, and back in those days, there wasn't the huge numbers for passing, nor were there huge numbers for rushing. The game was a lot slower. And and oftentimes you would see the teams just trudging to get knock out that first down. And so Charlie Trippy might put his head down and do the best he could. Uh, but the numbers were never, never outstanding if you compare them to today's game, which is a more wide open, I would say. Yeah, you know, when he retired from the game, which came after the 1955 season, and by the way, we need to mention it, he is still with us as of the the recording of this show, which is Tuesday, October the 27th, 2020. Charlie is 98 years old, and he's still with us. Um, after the 1955 season, he was the NFL's all-time leader in total offense. So for the period in which he played, he certainly put up great numbers. And again, like you said, he played more than one position, as, as, as did many players back then. Correct. How good was he as a defensive back? As a defensive back, he had an unusual combination of speed as well as a mental ability. And by that, I mean, he seemed to comprehend where the ball was going and where the rusher was going. And a lot of that came because he played an awful lot of football games even before he got into the professional ranks. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a, a hard hitter. He played some high school basketball where they referred to him kind of as a bully because he was tough. And even as a pro, he was about six foot 180. But he just seemed to have that perspective sitting back there in the defensive backfield, knowing where the ball would go. And the Cardinals, during those first couple of years of his career, had another great defensive back in Marshall Goldberg. And those two really, really seemed to dominate the defense for the Cardinals, including in their 1947 NFL championship year. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. What about his skills at quarterback? He was sort of pressed into service with, 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 with the Cardinals, was he not? He was. And again, there's a little bit of a misconception about his throwing ability. He was listed as a fullback at the University of Georgia, yet he did most of the passing for the team in college. Mm-hmm. And he was listed as a halfback during his two seasons in the military, playing for military teams. Yet again, he was throwing the ball a lot. And uh, some of his greatest accomplishments were throwing the ball. But he had a fairly high percentage, I think, a little under 50 percent, if I'm correct, during his professional career, which was fairly accurate. And back in the day when we might see 30 to 40 percent completion mm-hmm. rate. Mm-hmm. So he could toss the ball. Apparently, he could throw it pretty far as well. So uh, all through his different aspects of his career, uh, he was one of the the leading passers for his team. But you made a nice point there when he was kind of thrust into being a quarterback for the Cardinals. The position had solidified a little bit. Now we are seeing more of the passing specialist in the 1950s, and the Cardinals kind of ran out of players. And back in early players to play quarterback they had some good ones uh jim hardy for example set the nfl record uh, i think in 1950 for most interceptions in the game with eight 
And yet he came back the following week and threw five or six touchdown passes. So uh, there wasn't a consistency as we see today, but they were looking for someone who they could depend on to protect the ball, not throw interceptions. And mm-hmm. and in that, they found Charlie Trippy, a guy who was very, very experienced in the position, even though it looked like he was a halfback most of his career. Mm-hmm. Because let's go back to his career at Georgia, where you said he wasn't listed as the quarterback, but yet he was the quarterback. And in 1942, he completed 33 passes out of 58 attempts for 602 yards, he threw for five touchdowns and, unfortunately, six interceptions. Ah. But then his career was interrupted by the war. So, first, what can you tell us about his college career, if you know anything about it? And second, how do you think missing the 1943 and 44 seasons affected his growth as a football player, or did it? Yeah, that's another great, great question, because he did leave after his sophomore year to enter the military, as did a lot of young men Mm -hmm. during World War II. He was stationed up in North Carolina at Greensboro, and he he played on the team right away in, uh, I think, 1943 then. uh, For an undefeated team, they were Mm 4-0. And then they, they did. He played again in 1944. Yes, I want to get my mm-hmm. dates correct mm-hmm. there. So he did get some experience. I believe uh, the 1944 team maybe only lost one game. Uh, so he did play in the service, but in both those years, he also played in the college all-star game because of the uh, reduced restrictions or qualifications. He was able to play in the all-star game in 43, 44, and 45, which is pretty amazing. That was a big deal. That was like the Super Bowl then, even though it was a preseason game, because 100,000 people would watch that game in Chicago every August. In fact, in 45, he was the most valuable player of the all-star game. But he, he continued to play in the service. He was a little frustrated because he had volunteered to go overseas but he was assigned at, at this base, the Greensboro base, uh, to be a physical education instructor and to play football. In fact, it got a little political when when he was released, supposedly a little early, and he joined George again, then midway through the 45 season. Uh, some politicians from Florida thought, well, he got released so he could help the Georgia football team this year. <laughs> So anyway, when he did get out in October of 45, he missed the first four games and his coach Wally Butt said, my gosh, he's improved. He's better than ever. So uh, playing nonstop, so to speak, and playing in the college all-star game, playing two years in the military, even played in the North-South all-star game in 44, I believe, or 45, uh, he improved his skills. He was doing more passing. Seems like he was uh, more of an outstanding runner, and they were still having good players on the military teams at that time. Uh, much like World War One, where we saw just incredible all-star mm-hmm. uh, teams that were put together to play. And World War Two, maybe not so much, uh, but we still saw that they were playing in front of big crowds, and they had plenty of good players on both teams. So Charlie was able to increase and improve his skills by playing in the military. And his own coach, who had not seen him for almost three years, 
was the first one to say that. And I think the fact that some of the competition was a little nervous that Trippi was back in the lineup. <clears throat> but here he was again, and of course he led uh, led the team to a very nice season back then as well. Sure. So his skill had improved. He was a better runner. Um, is that why he really, not exclusively, but basically became more of a running back. He was used more as a running back than he was as a quarterback. In 45, he rushed for 321 yards, and he scored nine touchdowns. And in 1946, he rushed for 800 yards and scored another nine touchdowns. And he's, he actually caught 11 passes for another four touchdowns. So what was the reasoning behind the change from quarterback to, to a running back? Yeah, and I think probably you hit it on the head that he was, they were finding that he was more valuable uh, as a running back. He was able to uh, split the quarterbacking duties, so to speak, or the passing duties with a guy named Roush, I believe his name was, for Georgia. And they played together for a couple of years. And so Charlie was able to, especially that second year, which would have been his senior year, concentrate more on running. And he was able to play a full season, too. Uh, since that first season back, uh, he only got those seven games in. So uh, I think that the, the coach Butts was able to see that, yeah, I'm going to use, use Trippy as much as I can. Uh, here I got the MVP from the uh, Rose Bowl back in my lineup, and he's had another year of college. And, and Charlie just felt at the time from the quotes I've been able to read that he was very loyal to Georgia, and, and he stayed that way throughout his career once he moved down after the service, he never went back home to Pennsylvania. But, uh, you know, back to the question. Again, he had the experience many, many games more than he probably would have played in college playing in the military. And then those three full seasons uh, playing for Georgia enabled him, I think, to take to uh, really make a better example of his running game and to take advantage of his experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he did. He won the uh, 1943 MVP of the Rose Bowl, and he won the Maxwell Award in 1946, his senior yeah. year, as the most outstanding college football player in the nation. So, not unexpectedly, the Cardinals drafted him number one, but he was a future draft pick. He was actually drafted number one in 1945. So how did that work? Do you know future picks? How did, how, does, how, how did that work back then? Yeah, it was almost similar today. If your class graduated, which his would have, but they were in the military, there was an asterisk next to the name in the draft. And Charlie was the overall number one pick of that draft in 1945. The Cardinals were coming off of their humbling 1944 season where they had to combine with Pittsburgh to create a team called the Card Pits just so they would have enough bodies out there yeah. to have a football team and field 11 guys on the, on the field at one time, although the Card Pits lost every one of their games. Um, they were so bad that the Card Pits name was kind of mocked and called the carpets by the Chicago Tribune <laughs> yeah. because why not? Everyone walks all over them anyway. So, 
But uh, one thing about Charlie, too, is that uh, he, w- he was a little tough guy that some of the stuff I didn't know about in that first college all-star game he played in in 43, he w- suffered a, a fairly sub- significant head injury. And nowadays we'd have the concussion protocol and uh, et cetera. But he went into the military then and had two more concussion type injuries that season, which prompted him to spend almost a month in the hospital in early 1944. And so today I wonder if they'd even allow him to play again, Hmm. obviously because he's going to be 99 years old in December, the (laughs) concussion (laughs) did not affect him, but, uh, Talk about a tough guy to come back from that that type of injury and the headaches that he experienced uh, throughout the uh, that's that year. Trippy was considered undersized at just 160 pounds and had trouble finding a college to attend and play for. However, the University of Georgia gave him a scholarship and he played for the Bulldogs for three years. Of course, with the war interrupting his career in 1942, his sophomore year. Trippy put up some hefty numbers in a game against Florida, in which Joe spoke about, in which the Bulldogs won 75 to nothing. Yeah, that's right. 75 to nothing. He threw a touchdown pass, rushed for two touchdowns, and returned an interception for a touchdown. Georgia went 11-1 and that year, was named national champions, and in the Rose Bowl against UCLA, Trippy rushed for 115 yards on 27 carries. After he returned to college, led Georgia to a 20-6 win over Tulsa in the Oil Bowl. In 1946, Trippy led Georgia to an undefeated season, and in the Sugar Bowl, he led the Bulldogs to a 20-10 win over North Carolina in a game in which he rushed for 54 yards and threw a 67-yard touchdown pass. That's the year he won the Maxwell Award. The Walter Camp Trophy is the top running back in the nation, and he was runner-up to Glenn Davis of Army for the Heisman. And by the way, as we had mentioned and, and you had mentioned earlier, he he is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 1959. He was also a heck of a baseball player. He was drafted by the New York Yankees and the upstart AAFC, the All-America Football Conference, wanted him as well. So how did the Chicago Cardinals wind up with him? I mean, from what I've read, the Yankees actually thought they had him locked up. They did. In fact, they had uh, brought him to New York to make the announcement. And this was after his college football experience had concluded. He did play in uh, 1947 for the Atlanta Crackers in the minor league uh, system and hit, I think, 324, 325. So he was a very productive baseball player as well. And I remember reading something that he said he wasn't sure which way he was going to go. He loved both sports, but, of course, he had the, the injuries with football. Uh, but then in baseball, he, you know, he just wasn't quite sure. But it's really an interesting tale about how he did end up with the Chicago Cardinals in 1947. As you mentioned, he was drafted 
Uh, two years earlier, he was still in the service, got out of the service, completed his college football career. And then uh, in early 1947 is when the pursuit of Charlie Trippy started. And here was a guy that was wanted by the Cardinals, as well as the new competing league, which had a team in Chicago. But the uh, team in New York called the New York Yankees football team was also anxious to sign Trippy. Hmm. They were very confident. And they made an unusual partnership then with the New York Yankees of baseball fame. The two would go together, kind of double team Trippy. Uh, they'd each get a piece of him. He'd play football and uh, play baseball professionally in New York. And little did anyone know, but Charles Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, uh, kind of had Trippy in his pocket. And that was voluntarily. Trippy had met Bidwell, who was a lawyer, and Bidwell had helped him out on some types of discussion. Bidwell actually rode the train with Trippy to New York when he was going to have his meetings with the two New York teams. <laughs> and so uh, when they were expecting Trippy to, to sign with New York, he was already in the train back to Chicago. Uh, a little bit of uh, backstage espionage there. Uh, Bidwell said that, or should say Trippy, and I'm referring back to notes I had with Trippy back in the 90s mm -hmm. when I was working on a book, and I, I found my notes. And he said, Mr. Bidwell wanted me to go to New York, and it was only fair to see what they had to say. But Bidwell told me, whatever they offer you, I'll match it and beat it, which he did. And so Charlie Trippy what I, is what I consider the first bonus baby of the National Football League. Hmm. The Major League Baseball teams had a term for bonus babies, and back then they had these limited rosters where if you signed a player, um, you had a guarantee over a certain amount of money, you had to guarantee him a spot on your Major League roster. And so the bonus babies were those lucky few who would get the big bucks and go right to the majors. Uh, unfortunately, it appears some of them didn't have the Major League caliber skill. They needed some seasoning in the minors. So some of the major league teams were withdrawing a little bit. They're a little more conservative on offering the big dollars to these baseball players. But football had its draft that was instituted in the late 1930s, and the Cardinals had the rights to Charlie Trippy. I think at the time in 45, uh, no one really anticipated there would be another league starting, which it did very shortly. And that was backed by uh, the editor of the Chicago Tribune. So he was uh, also encouraging Trippy to join the league as well. And Trippy went to New York, took a tour of Yankee Stadium, answered all the questions, was very polite, never said yes, never said no. But uh, then it came out that the Cardinals had indeed signed Trippy as a bonus baby. And by that, uh, he got paid a contract of four years for $100,000. Today, that doesn't a sound alike. Uh, for four years. So, so 25000 a year. Yes. Still an enormous amount mm -hmm. of money back then. And players still weren't getting enough to be play and playing football full-time they still had to have part-time jobs in the offseason or even during the season so having a guy like that and and signing him an all-american and and paying him that kind of money really made an impact that the cardinals and the nfl were, were serious about getting the best players possible in his senior year at georgia trippy hit 475 and hit 11 home runs while playing shortstop and the outfield. 
He did play the one year of minor league ball in the Sally League for the Atlanta Crackers. In 106 games for the Crackers, he hit 334. He was also a pretty darn good baseball coach. He led the Bulldogs to a 34 and 18 mark in 1949. Unfortunately, Bidwell passed away in April. This all happened in January. And so he never saw Charlie take the field for the Cardinals in 1947. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. Hey, yes, going, yes. going back to the draft for a second, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So the Cardinals selected him in 45 as a future draft pick. Could another team have drafted him in 46 or the Cardinals drafted him and that's that? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. And the reason I don't know if there was a certain amount of time that a team had that the player was reserved. I'm thinking and uh, that probably he had, they had the rights to him for a certain amount of time. Uh, the rules and the drafts have always changed through the years, but I could not see where any other NFL team was pursuing Charlie Trippy. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming, and perhaps that's incorrectly, that the Cardinals did retain the rights to him once he was drafted. Mm-hmm. Okay. So his first year with the Cardinals was quite magical. It was 1947, and he helped lead the Cardinals to the NFL championship. He was a part of the Cardinals' million-dollar backfield, which you and I discussed on our show about the Chicago Cardinals. But let's review for a moment. Who made up the million-dollar backfield? How did it get its name? It got its name because it was the first time that four starters in one professional backfield were all all Americans. And so at quarterback, we had Paul Christman from Missouri. And in the back fullback was Pat Harder from Wisconsin. Uh, One of the halfbacks was, of course, Charlie Trippi from Georgia. And the other halfback was Marshall Goldberg from Pittsburgh, who was the oldest of the quartet. And so they were all well-known college players and uh, had come back from the war to form this magical backfield that's been called the dream backfield, the million-dollar backfield. Uh, But then uh, later in the season in 47, Marshall Goldberg switched exclusively to defense, and Elmer Angsman from Notre Dame uh, came in, and the Cardinals didn't miss a beat. Uh, Angsman was a, a talented back, and uh, so that that dream backfield, the million dollar backfield, was uh, still continued. Although we recognize the five of them as being part of that backfield, so mm-hmm. Trippy was the final piece that Bidwell tried to get in place for that. And again, when you when you have that much star power, it's uh, hopefully will translate into some magical wins for your team. And that's what it did for the Cardinals in 1947. After years and years of being a doormat of the league, they suddenly were uh, taken seriously and as they well should have been and ended up capturing the NFL title that year. Right. And, and what else can you tell us about Charlie Trippy as far as that rookie year is concerned. I mean, he had a he had a heck of a season. He he um he rushed the ball 83 times for 401 yards. He scored two touchdowns. On the receiving end, he hauled in 23 passes for another 
240 yards. Um, overall, total yards from scrimmage were, you know, 641. Um, he had a... He had a heck of a year, and in the championship game, he rushed for 84 yards and, and scored a touchdown. Just yes. how good, how quickly did he make his mark on the team, and how how quickly was he accepted by the other players? He seemed to be accepted immediately. There were jokes, and the reason this is, uh, I kind of have that really strong feeling is, Years ago, when a lot of the players were still around and I had the opportunity to talk to them, they would tell us stories how they made fun of Charlie uh, because of the money he made. And there didn't seem to be any jealousy at all because of the talent he brought to the team. Uh, but they would joke about how he would uh, be expected to pay for meals when the team went out. Uh or the beers, which the, the boys would have once or twice together. So it seemed like he was accepted right away. I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. didn't sense any hostility among his teammates. And, of course, they were all excited to be partners with him and with all the other talented players they had on the 1947 Cardinals as well. But as you mentioned with his statistics, you know, a guy that could rush that for that many yards or, and catch 23 passes – uh, he was doing the punting. He returned punts and kickoffs. He did everything, and he was very modest. And throughout his life, he's been modest. I know when the uh, high school football field was renamed in his honor in 1970, he was shocked. He didn't know why he deserved that. <laughs> Here was a, a smaller place in, in Pennsylvania and, and honoring him that way by renaming the field. But I think that's what his teammates liked about him as well, that he was humble, hardworking, but very, very talented. So it all, all was part of the puzzle to uh, make the Cardinals uh, the champions that they were in 1947 with players playing both ways. And Trippy doing his best to help out wherever he was needed. And again, with the, the variety of things he could do on the football field was amazing. And even in that championship game, you, you mentioned where the uh, teams came out it was the Philadelphia Eagles, who were probably favored a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it was a frozen field. And the Cardinals had a little bit of advantage. Their clubhouse uh, boy, as he was called then, that they loaned to Philadelphia, noticed that the Eagles were shaving their spikes prior to the game, which is against the rules. And so they told Jimmy Councilman, the coach of the Cardinals, what was going on. And he held on to that information until it was appropriate on the first drive of the Eagles, where the referee said, oh, no, that's illegal. He's got to change shoes. The Cardinals, however, came out for the game in gym shoes, which had a lot better traction. And I know Trippy had said one time that wearing those basketball shoes gave him better traction. And, and he certainly proved it with the two long touchdowns he had, uh, which is a 44-yard run and a 75-yard punt return, I believe, for for the game. So it was, it was kind of interesting that here's this guy, his first year, and we finally get the championship game. And He's a star, just since he had been in the previous year's Rose Bowl, and excuse me, the previous year's All-Star Game and, and the Rose Bowl a few years before in college. So, uh, again, Trippy made immediate contributions to the team but never had the swelled head. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those veterans seemed to have that capability that they were confident but kept it to themselves. You touched upon it. You said that he was a punter, too. 
You know, yeah. just how good of an all-around player was Charlie Trippy? I mean, kicking, punting, returning punts, playing defense, playing quarterback, playing running back. And he was good at all of them. He was. I think back to the comments made by the UCLA coaches after that 1943 Rose Bowl where Trippy was the outstanding player. But the coaches were complimenting him on his defense above all. And you would see that throughout his career where might say, well, Trippy gained 50 yards, but, oh, he knocked down two passes and stopped them when they're near the goal line. So he has that, had that aggressive nature on defense. But to, to kind of bring that circle around Trippy, he could do everything really well, which I guess is why he's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you almost wonder, what if they had just had him play offense or yeah. just defense? How dominating could this guy have been? And and he was he was spectacular on the field. I remember uh, talking to one of his teammates. It might have been Mark Elmer Angsman saying the way that he could just move quickly, stop on a dime, change directions, and uh, speed the speed that he had to be able to outrun the the defenders when he had the ball. And we saw that a lot on his punt returns and his kickoffs where he would dazzle the opposition by darting in and out. And again, he had on defense, he had that sense I mentioned, but also on offense where if he was running the ball to be able to pick out his holes and hit them hard and hit them quickly and move to open space. Mm -hmm. Well, the championship game, you know, it was a heck of a game. He scored a touchdown, rushed for 44 yards, like you said, and he returned a punt for a touchdown too. a heck of a game. And we touched upon this as well in our last podcast. As good as 1947 was for the Cardinals, 1948 was probably even better, but they lost the championship game. (laughs) And for Charlie, I think 48 might have been his best season as a pro. He led the NFL in all-purpose yards. He rushed the ball 5.4 yards per carry. He was a first-team All-Pro. What else can you tell us about 48 that made, A, the Cardinals so good, and B, Charlie just so good he was first-team All-Pro? He was. He was a dominating player, and I think the team was dominating as well. And We may have mentioned last time, in my opinion, that's the best team in Cardinals history, even though they didn't win the championship. But they had, again, all these guys back. They added a couple performers here and there um, in supporting roles. And, and they were good. And they, they came out looking to duplicate what they had accomplished the year before. But as you mentioned, Trippy had just really great numbers. He averaged uh, over five yards, five and a half yards a carry, um, which led the league, of course. And as you mentioned, all-purpose yards. So he was all over the place again. But the team itself just seemed to have that confidence. They only lost one game all year and went into that championship game. This year, I think they were heavily favored. Not heavily favored, but favored a little bit. Again, playing the Eagles, this time in Philadelphia. And it's now called the infamous Snow Bowl. Mm. Because the night before, it started snowing and didn't stop. And I love to see some of the photos from that game 
Uh, there's even some film that still exists where you see these drifts and uh, the player slipping and sliding and getting knocked over drifts on the sideline. But one thing that was remarkable about that game as well was the fact that before the game, the players on both teams helped to not only shovel off the field, but to get the tarps off the field so they could play. <laughs> and I don't think we'll ever, ever see that no, again in the NFL. No, no, there's just no way. <laughs> but the uh, game itself, playing in a snowstorm, was 0-0. Zero to zero. Both teams had exceptional rushers. The Eagles had uh, Steve Van Buren. Of course, the Cardinals had their version of the dream backfield. No one could get much traction. It's different from having a frozen field to one that's covered in a few inches of snow. Unfortunately for the Cardinals, they fumbled the ball, lost the fumble deep in their own territory, and Van Buren carried it in finally for the only score of the game, and the Eagles won 7-0. to zero. Mm. And it really was a sad ending because not only did it ruin the really wonderful season for the Cardinals, but it kind of signaled a downfall for the team itself in ensuing years. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some players started to retire. Some players were traded. And uh, you wonder if they had won that game, how long the team would have stayed together. But again, they were war veterans. So they were, they were older guys too. Mm-hmm. And, but I think doing that maturity of being veterans and also all experienced football players really helped them in 1948. It was just a shame that the game had to be played, but I remember Chet Bulger, one of the tackles of the Cardinals, he told me once, yeah, we we're going to play no matter what the weather. They had to play in it too, so we had no excuses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it goes down as a loss of 7-0. to zero. Mm. Yeah, and then 1949 wasn't too shabby either as he again led the NFL in all-purpose yards. But like you said, the Cardinals, this is when they started to slip. They were 6-5-1 and one that year. And this is really when things started to change. they The Cardinals started to fall on hard times, and Charlie's time as a running back also started to slip as he would eventually be switched and pressed into play as a quarterback. And he wasn't that bad, as we discussed earlier, yeah. but the magic of 47 and 48 and 49, that was all gone. How did he feel about the switch to quarterback? I remember him telling me that he would play wherever he was asked to play. And that's what he did during his career. He he just said, wherever they need me, that's where I'll go. Again, exemplifying the humility that this guy had. You know, the team itself, in 49, they were playing without their coach, Jimmy Councilman, who decided to walk away from the game after that 48 uh, championship loss. And and the Cardinals had two head coaches, which probably wasn't the greatest ideal. <laughs> you know, though both were both were, were good coaches, Buddy Parker and Phil Handler. And it just seems like the team wasn't able to uh, duplicate that magic that they had. And probably the biz- biggest example is the last game of the year when they lost to the Bears 52 to 21. And it was hard to believe the Cardinals had fallen that quickly to from a team, the Bears, they had beaten uh, the year before, and now to get trounced in uh, 1949. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a gateway to a, another unfortunate chapter of the Cardinals' history 
when they brought in a gentleman named Curly Lambo yeah. <laughs> to coach the team. And uh, the only was, coach, uh, the only coach in Cardinals history to have a stadium named after him. That's correct. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny stuff. I, I asked that question and people look at me like I'm kind of nuts sometimes. And they're probably right. I probably have those qualities, but uh, yeah. No one, no one really knows that Curly Lambeau was brought in to uh, to coach the great Charlie Trippi and the Chicago Cardinals. Mm-hmm. You know, those last few years, they they couldn't have been that fun. And of course, the tackle by John Henry Johnson in a 1955 preseason game wasn't yeah. fun at all, and it basically ended his career. So. How were those last few years for Charlie? And tell us about that tackle, if you can. Yeah, the the years were were good for a guy like Charlie who loved to play football. He was always out there uh, willing to do. And as we mentioned, he switched to quarterback in 51 and 52 finally. Uh, you know, wasn't uh, Bart Starr, but he was a decent quarterback and more importantly, a great leader. He did have some issues with Curly Lambeau, as did most of the Cardinals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, from research and from some interviews I did years ago, they felt Lambeau was there just to kind of pass the time. He had been pushed out of Green Bay. Maybe that's too strong a term after molding that team for his entire adult life. And then here he is brought to Chicago. Um, what we can, we do know for sure is that he didn't seem curly. That is, didn't seem to want to be there a lot. He left a lot of the practices up to his assistants. Uh, sometimes wasn't around. Uh, he and Trippy butted heads uh, either on play calling or the way things were were being done at the time. And and Charlie was one that wasn't vociferous if that's the correct word he he wasn't one to go out and complain uh, but it looks like at this point he was kind of airing the laundry a little bit that things weren't working out with curly and uh, curly didn't last too long he was gone by the end of the 1951 season but they had two really un- <laughs> two bad years they were five and seven in 1950 and then Followed that up with three and nine under under Lambeau, uh, but Charlie then continued his role with the team uh, throughout the remaining three years of his career. But when we talked about the tackle by John Henry Johnson of the 49ers, which really really affected Trippy, uh, he did get a concussion and apparently he had some uh, blurred vision. But I think back to several years, again, a decade before when he got the injury in the 1943 college all-star game when he was carted off the field on a stretcher with a head injury and then had two more head injuries in the Army that forced, as we said, uh, almost a month stay in the hospital till they can get rid of his headache. So this had to be devastating to him, mm-hmm. any ball, play, uh, ball player, to get hit like that and uh, – to have that type of injury where your vision was impaired. I imagine the headaches probably began again, but uh, it did, as you said, it did prompt his uh, retirement at the end of 1955. And he was about to turn 33 years old. And one of the things he had told me years ago was he knew at his age, 
uh, it was time to get started on something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Charlie Trippy is the only player, I think, in the Hall of Fame to have at least 1,000 yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing, and 1,000 yards receiving. I always ask this of my guests. Why do you think a guy like that is not better remembered? Oh, yeah. You know, it's the same question I have with Chris O'Brien, the guy who founded the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. No one's ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. Charlie Trippy, we know, at least is in the Hall of Fame. But you wonder, maybe as we said in the beginning of the discussion, the numbers weren't staggering. He didn't throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, and he didn't rush for 2,000 yards. He did everything very, very well. And so maybe it's a a tale of the numbers that here's a guy that was superlative in all these different offensive categories, but not the best ever and not in the top 10 ever. But he was there. He led his team to an NFL championship. And as with a lot of the players, they kind of are forgotten unless they, they have those wonderful numbers or reputations, say like a Gail Sayers, the mm-hmm. youngest guy to get in the Hall of Fame. But we had TV and we still have films of Gail Sayers to remind us how great he was. It's not readily available to see what Charlie Trippy did sure, on the field. Sure. It was really before the days of television and even you know, radio. Uh, so there wasn't a lot out there about him with the social media uh, so that we could get instant access to, to what he did. So we had to rely on the numbers. And when you compare the numbers to today, they're not spectacular, but they're very, very good. And when you compare him to the folks he played with at the time, and I think he had something like 15 Cardinals records when he passed, <laughs> passed uh, his career discontinued and he retired. And um, he had a lot of the, the total best total offense, if I recall, up to that time in NFL history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all purpose yards, he was up there in the top four or five. So here's a guy when you compare him to his contemporaries was very, very successful. So we got to be careful not to compare them against the players of today. Sure, sure. And I think, I think he's in the Cardinals ring of fame. I believe he is as well. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so how should we remember Charlie Trippy? Again, he's still with us, but how should we remember the career of Charlie Trippy? What is his legacy? His legacy was probably being the key figure among a bunch of contemporary stars for those two good teams in 47 and 48. And he was one also that was very, very reliable and consistent during his career in terms of the things he could do. So he is going to be uh, near the top of uh, a list we're compiling with a little committee of the top 100 Chicago Cardinals of all time hmm. that we're going to place on our, our site, our Facebook site, uh, starting very soon. Cool. And people do remember him who are familiar with history, of course. So I think we've, we've got to remember him as 
one of the best players of his decade. In fact, I think the NFL put him on their all 40s decade team, uh, which he truly deserves. So he's on there with with a lot of names, again, of players who may be forgotten because it was 80 years ago almost. And uh, but one who, if you if you study the game and it seems like a lot more people now are into football history with all the hundredth anniversary stuff going on, that you see what what a consistent and reliable player he was. And he was a winner both on the field and, and off the field as a person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joe, tell us a little bit more about the uh, Facebook page. If people want to learn more about Charlie Trippy, the Chicago Cardinals, uh, where, where can they go to find out more information? Yeah, on the Facebook site, if you just look up Chicago Cardinals, you will find it. The correct address uh, is facebook.com slash Chicago Cards slash. But uh, just going to Chicago Cardinals, will find it. And in there, we try and remember and preserve the history of the Cardinals as the NFL's oldest team. For example, the last week or so and throughout this season, we're going back to the 1920 season, sharing stories from that team, advertisements, uh, anything to to uh, kind of preserve that memory uh, of the team. But we'll cover everything from uh, Al Capone's influence on a Cardinals game to the military heroes that played for the Cardinals to the championship years team to the ugly years, to the appearances of uh, Jim Thorpe on the team and Ernie Nevers' all-time record, which I think we talked about last time. So it goes from uh, 1899 through 1960. And if anyone is is interested in learning not only about the Cardinals but other NFL history, we whoever played the Cardinals might be in there as well. So uh, I like to dig deep into some of the research I've been doing and and sharing that with who, whoever's interested in reading about it. Right now, there's um, I think uh, we're closing in on eleven thousand followers, so there is a lot of interest still in the Chicago Cardinals. Very cool, Joe. I want to thank you so much for stopping by once again. Uh, terrific conversation. I think uh, Charlie Trippy deserves more recognition than he gets. And I just want to thank you for coming by to tell us a little bit more about Charlie Trippy. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing to remember these forgotten guys and uh, to help preserve their legacy. And Charlie Trippy is for one. That's one we need to look up to and remember. He's one of the best ones. Definitely. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you. Just because someone doesn't accumulate the numbers that today's stars do doesn't mean they are not deserving of more recognition. Charlie Trippi was flat out one of the great stars in the NFL during his playing days. I suspect, as do many others, that if the Cardinals were able to field a team that wasn't as devoid of good NFL talent as it was After the 1949 season, Charlie Trippi's numbers would have been significantly better. After all, he had to put his running talents aside to step behind center and play quarterback for Chicago. And that hit by John Henry Johnson certainly affected Charlie's chance of playing longer. 
Nonetheless, in 1968, he was recognized for his outstanding career by being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I want to thank my guest today, Joe Zemba, for sharing his knowledge and enthusiasm with us. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. That's it for this edition, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.